You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Morning, everybody. Last week, I told you how to become rich. For those who missed it, it's uh, on our podcast. You can you can get it from that. A key text was Second Corinthians chapter eight um, and verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The strategy I gave you to become rich, though, had nothing to do with financial wealth, but it had everything to do with spiritual wealth and had everything to do with the opportunity to bless others with what we have. So instead of telling you how to become financially rich, I told you that the way to become rich was to follow the example of the Macedonian churches that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. These people were rich, genuinely rich, but they were rich in ways that had nothing to do with financial wealth because Paul said they were living in extreme poverty. We read all of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 last week. It's a fairly long passage, but probably the most important passage in the Bible on giving. Um, verse, uh, chapter 9 as well is also part of that important passage but uh, we didn't have time to read any of chapter 9 last week and uh, we don't have time to review the nine verses that we did look at in detail last week. There's a fair bit to cover this morning which is probably no surprise to most of you. (laughs) Um, But if you didn't hear last week I'd encourage you to catch up because it lays the foundation for what I want to say this week. One of the first things we discovered though in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 was that the Macedonians, though they were living and suffering extreme financial poverty, were genuinely rich in God's sight and in Paul's sight too. They were suffering extreme hardship, but they were still able to be generous and to be extremely generous. They'd heard about the saints in Jerusalem going through a famine and and, uh, decided that even though they had only a widow's mite left, they had two coins left to their name that the saints in Jerusalem needed it more than they did. That's extreme generosity. And not only did they decide that, they begged and begged earnestly for the opportunity to be able to give away the couple of coins that they had left. That's a remarkable comment. It's a staggering thought that you might have 10 cents left in your pocket. Nothing in the bank, no possessions, no assets you could sell off, no uh, pay packet you're expecting next Thursday or something. That's all you've got and you beg earnestly to be able to give it to someone else who's in greater need than you. That staggers me, that kind of generosity. You recall that Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Macedonians knew exactly where their treasure was. Their treasure was in heaven. Their treasure was Christ. So their heart was drawn to build up their heavenly bank account, so to speak, with the little bit they had left. 
Jesus also said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the reason it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God is because the rich man's money, his possessions, his stuff, tends to be his treasure. And so where your treasure is, Jesus said, that's where your heart will be drawn to. But that wasn't so for the Macedonians. Their treasure was Christ. I hope and pray that that is the case for you as well today. The point of everything I said last week was that we are not rich, we're not genuinely rich when our hearts are captivated by earthly stuff. That's the stuff that wears out, the stuff that breaks down, the stuff that we need so much we have to buy it and then it sits in the back of a kitchen cupboard taking up space because we never use it again. It's the stuff that gets lost. It's the stuff that gets stolen. These things add nothing of eternal value to our lives and they add nothing of eternal value to the lives of anyone else. Rather, we're rich, we're genuinely rich, when we're no longer concerned about collecting and hanging on to stuff, but when we're able to be generous with what God has given us and when we're joyfully willing to give it away to someone who needs it more than us. And most of the world needs it more than us, we've got to say. Now, we can be generous when God has blessed us with enormous wealth. I mentioned last week a number of wealthy people that the New Testament refers to, so God isn't opposed to wealth. I mentioned a man by the name of R.G. Letourneau, known as the mover of men and mountains, a, a man who became so wealthy from in, inventing uh, heavy earth-moving equipment that he gave 90% of his personal income to the church and 90% of his company profits to the church and to Christian missions and still had more money than he could spend in his lifetime. God's not opposed to wealth. He is opposed to it becoming our treasure. So we can be equally generous and maybe more so when we have little left to give. The Macedonian church and the widow at the temple had little left to give. But these people who had almost nothing to give gave more than all the rich people, according to Jesus, at the temple. So I say we can be equally generous even when we're poor because in God's economy, our financial state has nothing to do with the level of our financial wealth. Nor should it determine the level of our generosity. It's our willingness to give according to our means of our own accord and according to what we had, Paul said in those first nine verses of 2 Corinthians 8. That determines how rich we really are. So 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are critically important chapters for us to understand what true wealth is and how we should handle our money and our possessions. Now we'll pick up the story in uh, verse 10 of chapter 8. Back one. Paul has been using the Macedonian churches as an example to stir the Corinthian churches to be generous also. So in verse 10 he goes on, And in this matter I give my judgment, 
This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. It's not your wealth or your lack of wealth that makes your giving generous. It's your desire, your readiness, your willingness to give out of what you do have that counts. If you're willing to be generous, the yardstick you are measured by is what you have, not what you lack. But of course that willingness must be matched by the action. For Paul tells us that it's not the desire to help, but the completion, the actual giving that counts. We might say it's the thought that counts, but Paul would say the thought does count, but the action proves that there's something solid behind that thought. Without the corresponding action, we're only deceiving ourselves and deceiving others and we're pretending to be generous when we're not actually generous. Jesus might call that hypocrisy. If you have to use a crowbar to pry your wallet open to give to others, God would say, do you keep your wallet shut? I don't need your money and I don't want your money. He's after people with a generous heart. If you don't have a generous heart, it's hypocrisy to give it to God or to give it to the church. Now we churches put up our hand and say, we don't care what the motivation is, we'll have the money anyway. (laughs) But I believe God would actually say to us churches, you don't need it. If the people don't want to give it willingly, you don't need it. I will be your provider. And when we give generously, God will be our provider as well. And in fact, if we give it grudgingly, we're actually insulting him, I think. Paul goes on in verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Giving generously to others is not meant to be burdensome. If God has blessed us with an abundance, the loving thing for us to do is to share it with others. Given that the Macedonians were living in extreme poverty, it would be reasonable to assume that they were burdened by giving it to the saints in Jerusalem but you wouldn't know it from their attitude they begged to be able to give it away they didn't see it as a burden even though they had virtually nothing to give Paul goes on in verse 16 but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you for he not only accepted our appeal but being himself very earnest He is going to you of his own accord. For with him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. 
for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We have no idea who this famous brother is. Paul never tells us. But he seems to have been the first century equivalent of a celebrity preacher. You mean Paul? The first century equivalent of Paul? Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I guess so. But all we do know is that he was not only well known, but he was trusted by the churches. Which, sadly, you can't say about a lot of celebrity preachers today. Going on in verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honourable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. You can't put too high a price on integrity. Jesus said the one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You cannot put too high a price on integrity. In verse 23, As for Titus, He is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Isn't it funny that the Macedonian churches were inspired to give out of their extreme poverty because they'd heard that the Corinthian church was going to give to the saints in Jerusalem? The Corinthian church had been an example to the Macedonians. It's almost as if there was some rivalry between the Macedonians and the Corinthians, as if The Macedonians were saying, if the Corinthians can do this, so can we. But then we go on a bit further, and it seems that it's turned around a bit. Because now Paul has to write to the Corinthian church to remind them not to neglect the promise that they made to give. Now he's using the Macedonians to inspire the Corinthians. He says, I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Simple lesson for us here is to not neglect what God has stirred us to do. If you feel stirred to be generous by someone else's example or if you feel stirred to be generous by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, follow through on it. 
Mel from time to time will come and say to me, I feel like God's saying I need to give X number of dollars to so and so. And my response is always, well, if God's telling you to do that, you better do it. And that's some pretty significant amounts of money sometimes. But if God's telling you to do it, or if you're stirred by someone else's example, do it. Be generous. Because there's nothing more certain than if we drag our feet, if we put it off for a day or a week or a month, it won't happen. This feeling too shall pass if we only wait long enough. And sometimes maybe that's exactly what we're waiting for, is for the feeling to pass. But that's not what Paul is calling for the Corinthians to do. He goes on in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is one of those verses that the prosperity preachers use to prove their point that if we give generously, and especially if we give generously to them, we will become financially wealthy in return. But I wonder if that is really what Paul is saying. He says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've probably heard it said in the past that the Greek word there for cheerful is hilarion, from which we get hilarious. It says something about the attitude of that cheerful giver. It's not grudging. It's something he wants to give. He begs to give. That was the attitude of the Macedonian church, And Paul goes on to say in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul's starting to get to the heart, I think, here of what this prosperity really is, that we have everything we need to abound in every good work. God's promise to repay your generosity is not necessarily related to money. God will make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. There's a lot of... What's the term I'm looking for? Big words, not big words as in length, but in all and every... Encompassing. Encompassing, yes. God's promise is to make you rich. That may be financially rich, but it is certainly to make you spiritually rich by providing your needs so that you can work in the good works that He has already prepared for you to walk in. Remember Paul telling the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10 For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's true wealth. That's true prosperity. God supplying what we need so that we can walk in those good works that he has already prepared for us.
as it is written, Paul goes on to say in verse 9, he has freely distributed, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God doesn't promise to make us wealthy for our sake. He promises to enable us to be generous towards others. He will multiply our seed for sowing. He will increase the harvest of our righteousness, not necessarily the harvest of our bank account. What's the verse that we all like to quote? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If God should choose to bless us with an abundance of financial wealth, it's so that we can be a conduit to pass that wealth through to other people. So we can be a blessing to others, not so that we can accumulate it for our own pleasures. Remember the Macedonian church. Remember the widow's might. Remember in modern, more modern times, R.G. Latourne. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. There's a dual benefit to our generosity. Not only are we able to meet the needs of the saints who are less fortunate than us, which in itself is a good thing, but our generosity causes them and others to give thanks to God. We all say that we want to glorify God. Here's a simple way to do it. Meet the needs of the saints. Don't do it to blow your own trumpet. Don't do it to seek recognition and applause. Jesus said that those who get the recognition here have missed out on that reward in heaven. Do it in secret. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because you're thankful to God for the grace he's extended towards you. His grace abounds to me. We sang it the last song. His grace abounds to me. Do it because God has stirred you to show your love for the saints in practical ways, not just in pious ways. Paul says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. We've given, I'll talk a little bit more about it shortly, we've given to a few ministries that pray for us Regularly, because they see we're in partnership with them, with them. Paul said that they will pray for you when you're generous. They will long for you. They'll have a heart for you. 
because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul began chapter 8 by writing, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. He concludes that passage of two chapters with, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The grace of God extended to us in our salvation and indeed in every area of our life should be all the motivation we need to be generous to others. Now I had every intention of talking a little bit more about tithing and responding to some of the questions and objections I raised in my message last week but there's too many other important things to talk about so it may have to wait for another time. But before I get into giving you an update on the City Edge finances why don't you all just stand up, stretch your legs a little bit. Now it's going into the... There's not a lot left but there's enough left that uh, you'll be... You'll be sitting down for a while if we go right through. This is the bit that's usually an AGM type of thing in churches where you get an update on the financial state of the church. So I promised last week, and I've actually been saying for quite some time I intend to give you an update on the state of finances of City Edge Church. And the good news is we're in a healthy position financially, which is a testimony to your faithful generosity. It's interesting that um, John does our books. He makes sure everything is up to to date and accounted for and records all the receipts and all the rest of it. He does does our our BAS claims and things like that. And he he ran a report for me just recently that showed that our, uh, I think I may have mentioned this at some time, while our attendance is less than half what it used to be, our giving is only down by 15, 20%. Is that right, John? that tells me something significant about the heart of the people that remain. Their heart is for this church. It's also for the work of God. It also tells me that God is able to make us abound in everything through small numbers. So we're in a healthy position. We have a number of expenses and also a number of areas that we allocate that money to outside of the church. As I talk about some of these specific areas that we're putting money into, would you consider whether these are things that you would like to contribute to as well? Things that you'd like to get behind financially. And I also invite you to pray for these things. I will add a list of these to our newsletter this week with uh, websites for you to check up on them as well. um, Our biggest expense, of course, is the hire of this hall. This is not a cheap hall to hire, particularly for the three or four hours or something we have it on a Sunday. Um, The thing I do like about it is their money for this is going to another Christian organisation, not to government organisation or private uh, people or something like that. We're at least helping to support other Christians. That's something I do like. And we've been blessed here. There's no doubt about it. We've been blessed. We've got storage. We've had the the room up there when we had the children's church. Um, We have issues with electrical and overheads and things like that from time to time, but we haven't had to buy those things. So this has been a blessing, but it is a big expense. I'll get to that a little bit more shortly. There are plenty of other hidden costs, such as public liability insurance, 
crim check searches for the leadership, subscriptions to the overhead software we use, subscriptions to have permission to use the songs that we sing, sound equipment, musical instruments, coffee beans for the cafe, milk, plenty more. Milk, actually, the baristas buy the milk themselves and they never actually ask to be reimbursed for it anymore, which is pretty nice. (laughs) We don't need very much nowadays, sadly. Sadly for more reasons than one. Actually, We'll actually get to some of that later too. Um, Now, every church faces these costs. Even the ones that don't have paid staff, and we don't have any paid staff, It's unavoidable in modern society. You have to have public liability insurance. And that's a decent chunk of money every year. We don't need all of those things we have. We don't necessarily need the overhead software. We could sing out of old hymn books with the old public domain hymns instead of more modern stuff. So we don't need all of those things. But certainly some of them we do have to have. And that's one of the reasons why so many churches will preach the necessity or requirement to tithe because there's expenses you just have to cover every week. But the question we need to ask ourselves is how does my giving for the earthly cost of running City Edge Church compare to the eternal benefits that I receive from being a member here? Do you see spiritual growth in your own life? I hope you do. I've seen it in your lives. If you do, you've been receiving some of the eternal benefits that far outweigh the earthly investment you've made, financial investment you've made in this church. That should be an encouragement to you to continue to support City Edge Church financially. And I don't think I need to encourage you people to do that. You do it already. But you won't be the only ones listening to this because we have people in America and UK and all over the place, Vanuatu at the moment, that listen to these. It should be an encouragement to whoever is listening to financially support their local church. Paul made this very point in his first letter to the Corinthians. If we have sown spiritual things among you, he said, is it too much if we reap material things? Now Tony long ago recognised the spiritual value we've received from our relationship with NCMI. And so he decided to contribute financially and regularly to them in the early days. I'm not sure what the total is that we've given to them over the years, but it's about $4,500 a year that we're giving at the moment to them. The church is not meant to be a profit-making business. It's a charity in the sense that whatever comes in is to be used for the advance of the gospel and for the benefit of the saints, both here in Melbourne and around the world. Of course, if all the money that comes into a church is chewed up by overheads and internal expenses, if none of it escapes to do good outside the four walls of this church, then there's a serious problem. Something is badly out of whack. Good news is that's not the case here. As I said, the single largest cost for us is the hire of this hall. It takes nearly a third of our giving to hire this hall. 
And I've been discussing this with our deacons in the, over the last number of months, actually, and, uh, and praying about it. And we all feel that our days are numbered in this hall. They're coming to an end. It's served us well and it's been a privilege, as I said, to be able to support another Christian ministry. But I don't think we're going to be here for a lot longer. So we've begun to look around for a different venue. And uh, while it's reasonably early days yet, I want to give you all a bit of a heads up about that. That we're looking and praying for a venue that's hopefully a bit more modern. That uh, has better exposure to the community that's closer to Eastlink. And hopefully will still have storage. That's been invaluable for us. And a venue that we could have full time would be fantastic. There's not a lot of those around. There's not a lot of those around cheap. But we're praying and we're waiting on God to see what he brings up. And we're open to going wherever we think God is leading us to go. So there's nowhere definite, but what I will say is we're looking closer to Eastlink than what we are at the moment. On the subject of a venue, we've had a building fund bank account running for several years now. It was set up initially to prepare for having our own venue one day. We've used it in the past to pay associated costs with improving the facilities here. For example, when the stage, some of you will remember, we adjusted the stage, the back wall was painted, we bought, I think, one or two of these overhead screens. We did a certain amount of other work, painting and other work, and we used the building fund for that purpose. The money that's in there is dedicated to a building in some form, whether that's maintenance or purchasing or leasing our own property. Um, it doesn't and it won't get chewed up for anything else. But there's um, a few people who have given faithfully to it over the years and the currently that bank balance sits at nearly $34,000. And that's just from people giving faithfully over the years. That's a significant amount of money. If we never get a property of our own, I'm not sure what we'll end up doing with it, but it won't get chewed up for anything else. As well as contributions from City Edge members, 5% of our offering goes into that fund as well. One day this money will become either a deposit on our own property or be used to set up and furnish a leased venue. We don't advertise this account very often. A lot of you may not have even realised that we have had it. But uh, I'll give you some details about that particular fund as well, just in case you, and about the other funds, just in case you feel you'd like to contribute for the benefit of future generations. It's a long-term thing. In the Middle Ages and the Reformation year and times like that, they would spend decades building a cathedral to worship God in. We can afford to look. Centuries, centuries sometimes. We can afford to look long, look long term. We don't need to be looking at what the City Edge do with this building fund in the next three months or three years. We can say we're, we're setting this up for two or three generations down the track. Most of you know Leo Nicotra up in Sydney. He leads one of the NCMI churches up there and um, I heard him talking a while ago how he wished that they'd set up a building fund right from the very beginning of their church, which was, I think, 20-odd years ago. They had an opportunity to buy a property in Sydney uh, in a great location, perfect for what they wanted, 
a couple of years ago, but they couldn't afford it. And I remember he said that if we had had set up that building fund from the very start, we could have paid cash for it. By the time they'd saved up the difference from what they had to what the property was being advertised for, it had gone up by a few million dollars more. We look long term. We're only a small church at the moment, but God doesn't need very much. God could make us big. I'm determined that financially this church will be in the best position possible to seize that opportunity when God opens those doors. I mentioned earlier that the local church is God's method of spreading the gospel. I talked a little bit about it last week. It's been his way of spreading the gospel and advancing the kingdom for 2,000 years and his plan hasn't changed and it won't change until Jesus comes again. So we need more churches to do that. Some people would say, well, we've already got enough churches here in Melbourne. Why do we need more? But consider this. We've been, Mel and I have been in Melbourne for 24 years now. And in that time, the population of Melbourne has grown by about 2 million people. If you figure a mere 5% of those newcomers being Christians or getting saved shortly after they moved to Melbourne. And if you say an average church size is 50, which is a little bit less than the average, it's about 75, but just for ease of the sums, 5% of them are Christians and they have a church of 50 people. That means we need 2,000 churches, new churches, in Melbourne to account for that population growth in the last two dozen years. I can guarantee we have not had 2,000 new churches in Melbourne. So this particular fund, which currently sits at $5,700, has been set up to help new church plants that we hear about and it's also in preparation for one day planting a church out of City Edge itself. 10% of our giving goes into that fund. We've already actually given over $2,000 out of that to an upcoming church plant and another church that was uh, struggling financially. And I'm always on the lookout for other opportunities to give out of that fund. My dream is that one day we would be able to plant out of City Edge Church and that we would have enough money to give the planting team enough to get established to be able to pay six months rent on a property to buy sound or overhead equipment to cover wages while they get themselves settled into a new city or new area wouldn't that be a wonderful thing that we are able to invest in the kingdom by planting new churches or supporting new church plants We've got another account, which is an emergency funds account. It's $3,500 in that at the moment. That's just if something goes wrong. If all of our musical instruments break down on the same day or if someone in the church has their car blow up and they can't afford to get it fixed, it's an emergency fund. The one I'm most excited about is a charitable, charitable giving fund. At the moment, there's a couple of thousand dollars in there, but that's because we've given a fair chunk of that away already. 
the opportunity for us to help brothers and sisters around the world with no strings attached giving is too precious for words. 10% of your giving goes directly into that fund. The goal is to give all of it away on a regular basis. Close to a third of our income as a church has already gone to gifts and charities in the last 12 months. There's several causes we've been able to help so far and we've only started doing this seriously recently. It's taken me a little bit, a little while to get my feet of clay moving and get things set up. But um, we started doing it recently and we've given more than $6,500 away already. And uh, guess what? Your support, if you choose to get behind that, will be credited to your account in heaven where the true riches are. So let me tell you a little bit about those we're currently helping with this. Some of these are regular donations. Some of them are occasional or one-off donations. The first one is one called Sakuma Organisation. This is a child sponsorship type of thing, a bit like a World Vision sort of thing. It's a group that's connected to an NCMI church in South Africa and they provide support, education, meals, clothing, etc. for young children. They actually do quite a lot more than just that as well, but the bit we're directly involved in is child support. And there's two little kids we're sponsoring. That's Takani, I don't know the pronunciation, I'm assuming Takani, and that's Tabiti. And we're sponsoring those on behalf of our men's and our women's group. $60 a month will go to them every month to help support them. I don't have very much information, as I say, it's only just begun that, so as I get more, I'll, uh, I'll let you know more. Then we're also supporting an organisation called Be'ad Chaim, the best I can get my Hebrew pronunciation. So far, we've given them $757, and that will be an ongoing contribution. They're an Israeli non-profit organisation dedicated to the protection of women and unborn children. Approximately 20% of pregnancies in Israel end in abortion. Since modern Israel was founded in 1948, more babies have been aborted in that nation than were murdered during the Holocaust. Be'ad Chaim provides support counselling, housing, clothing, toys, practical help, whatever necessary to help women choose to keep their babies instead of aborting them. They say there will be about 350 babies born in their broader family this year and it costs about $2,500 for one year of sponsorship and support and close to a million dollars will be spent on baby, directly on baby products two-thirds of their budget is directly involved in saving these lives. They have a short video to talk about... Have I worked here? A short video to uh, talk a little bit about what they do. Ba'ad Chaim is a national non-profit organization founded in 1988. Since then, we have saved more than 2,000 lives. 
Presently, we were servicing about 450 women. So our goal is to put an end to abortion in Israel. We can't continue to take the lives of the babies anymore. We need to stop that. Bad Chaim gives women who are pregnant an option to choose life for their babies. Those ladies don't know where to turn or what to do. They look on the internet at 2 o'clock in the morning when they can't sleep. They find us, they hit our hotline, and they get real help. They get an offer to make a choice to keep their child. Every day, women from all over the country call our hotline. You know what they say when they call the hotline? I have no choice. I have to have an abortion. We give them the choice. And our hotline counselors says to listen, really listen, and offer them hope, a new hope. Tell them, take a pause. Don't be so, so frantic. You can calm down. Take a deep breath. We have hope for you, and we have practical help, and we have somebody around the country who can be your friend and help you and be with you and stand with you. These girls feel like nobody listens to them. They're desperate, and they just need somebody who's going to listen and care. This is a place where they know people care about them. say I'll provide links to these various organisations in the newsletter this week. God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that we are the beneficiaries of today. He said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. We owe the Jewish people a debt and we owe it to unborn children to protect them. Supporting Ba'at Chaim is one way we can do this. There's another way we're doing this at the moment as well. It's an organisation known as Christian Friends of Israel. We've given them a little over $1,000 to date. That will be ongoing. The Bible verses that initially inspired me to get serious about this were in Romans chapter 15 where Paul writes from verse 25, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, do you remember Macedonia and Achaia back in 2 Corinthians 8? Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. I read that verse a number of months ago and straight away I felt convicted that we need to be providing material blessings for the Jewish people. The Australian arm of the International Ministry of Christian Friends of Israel raised support for many projects in Israel. They have a huge range of projects they're involved in. They work with the military. They work with those that are in zones that get bombed by the Palestinians. They work with uh, with street people, they work with elderly. It's, there's dozens and dozens of different things they're involved with. You can give to a specific project or you can just give for them to allocate it where there's the greatest need. There are far too many different areas of ministry for me to talk about here and I recommend you check out their website to see what they do. I'll include a link for them as well. They take no administration costs or any other costs out of the donations that they receive. 100% of the donations go directly to the ministries. 
They believe that the Lord will provide for them for all their admin costs from other sources and so that they can give all of that to the work. That's rare among ministries and charities. And, uh, it's a wonderful thing that they're able to do 100%. Very, very few can. It's another one called Faith Comes By Hearing. We've given them almost $1,000 to date. There'll be plenty more to come. It's an ongoing donation. Recall Paul said in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. The Bible is the primary tool that God uses to save people. But huge numbers of people around the world can't read. So if we're going to give them the word of God and give it to them in their own language, it makes sense to give it to them in audio format. So Faith Comes By Hearing is an organisation that does just that. The early days of the church, many people couldn't read. The letters from Paul, for example, were read to the churches or they would have a rabbi or a scribe or someone stand up and read from the scroll like Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Many people couldn't read. Today there's, who knows, billions maybe around the world that have no opportunity to read the word of God for themselves. But they can understand it if it's spoken in their own language. So faith comes by hearing, spreads the word of God by providing free access to God's word through audio Bibles in their native language. Their goal is to provide the Bible in every language on earth in audio format. And they even have versions for deaf people. I'm not sure how that works, but they do. They've created an app that I think I've suggested uh, here once before, Bible.is. You can get that in Android, I think, and uh, in Apple versions, where you can listen to the Bible yourself in English or in any language you like. I actually downloaded and listened to it in uh, a bit of um, Colossians in Bislama, the language of native language of Vanuatu. So you can listen to them as well. There's a little thank you video that we've received from them. Um, Through partnerships and support from all around the world, Faith Comes By Hearing is on a mission to share hope with every tribe, every language, and every nation. We won't stop until every last person has access to the Word of God. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. God's Word for everyone, everywhere. Another one that you all know about is Right Hope School in India. We've given them a bit over $900 this past year. Uh, I don't know the total over the years, but I'd say it would be in the thousands. Uh, we've been supporting Right Hope School by sales of the coffees. And um, all the costs, as I mentioned before, are carried by the church or by the baristas that serve you coffee. And every cent that comes in goes to Right Hope School. As many of you know, Right Hope was founded by and is run by Josh Fisher's parents, Mark and Celia. And they provide education to kids in the north of India that wouldn't, be able, wouldn't have access to an education otherwise. Um, sadly, as our 
cafe sales have dropped off, so is our giving to Right Hope. Feel free to pay for a coffee even if you're not a coffee drinker because all of it will go to Right Hope School. The other one I need to mention that we're giving to so far is the Vanuatu Church and Emergency Shelter. We've given them a little over $2,000 so far. That will continue. And this is a work that's being done by our friends Eric and Terry in Vanuatu. Many of you will remember they visited us and were with us for a short period of time a number of months ago, earlier on in the year, before they went over there to, to build this church. They've had a few family tragedies recently and uh, they've had significant problems with the weather. They've been rained out so much that slowed down progress, but the work continues. And, Terry, and Eric just sent me a couple of days ago this video. We've had some real ups and downs uh, since we've returned. As you might recall from our last update, last time we were here, we were flooded out of the project. So torrential rainstorms kept us from actually completing the project. Wouldn't you know now that we've run out of water? So uh, we're in a remote village in the country of Vanuatu on the island of Ifate, and there's very little water to begin with unless they collect the water. Uh, someone forgot to be collecting water in the tanks, and so we ran out. So now we're going to the river every day, which is about a mile away, uh, with containers to fill up water so we can complete our project. Every day I take a picture of the sunrise from the same spot. I'm calling it 30 days of sunrise in Teoma. And it's just a good reminder for me that every day the Lord's mercies are new. Uh, great is His faithfulness. and. Yeah, it's beautiful. We're excited because the project is well underway. I'll leave that running just in the background without audio. Um, we had a few updates from them this past week and uh, along with a number of prayer requests, we prayed for them on Wednesday night at a uh, corporate prayer meeting and uh, had a really, really good prayer session. I actually felt we had a few words for them which I've uh, sent back and I've uh, been really encouraged by We've received an invitation to go over there as individuals or as a team to help with the work as well. There's a couple of us have talked about it so far. Um, no time or date has been set as yet. But if you're interested in doing that, coming over for maybe two weeks tops, let me know and I'll see what we can organise. Yeah, food and accommodation will be provided. It's only tents, but apparently they're comfortable tents. To, and they will look after, look after us and I believe give us a tour of the island as well. It's on the main island of Vanuatu uh, in the mountains above uh, Port Vila I believe and uh, quite a steep mountain. The torrential rain has prevented them getting building materials in until recently. So these are the various good causes that we've given to out of City Edge funds, out of your giving in uh, the last 12 months and beyond. I don't intend those to be the last. City Edge has been known 
from its very beginning as a generous church. And it's my intention that that will, will remain, that we will be known as a generous church for the rest of the life of this church, however long God chooses to keep us around for it. I'm hoping generations and generations to come. So what should the church be doing with the money that's entrusted to it? What should you and I be doing with the money that's been in, that God has entrusted to us? Firstly, we should be supporting those who work at preaching and teaching God's word. I've said virtually nothing about this. And as much I'd love to say, that might have to wait for another time. At the moment we're supporting it as a church, we're supporting it um, by supporting NCMI team. Um, secondly, we should be supporting those who take the gospel to other places. We are with the likes of, of Eric and Terry and Faith Comes By Hearing and Christian Friends of Israel. We're supporting those. We should be helping the needy both in the local church and through Christian missions worldwide. And we can be leasing, purchasing and maintaining a property. So there's at least four areas the church can be uh, allocating money to. I concluded last week for an encouragement for you to be generous. I'll conclude this week with the same encouragement. Be generous for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Trust that you've been encouraged further today, that we are rich today regardless of our financial state, because the Lord Jesus Christ became poor on our behalf. So in gratitude we should be looking for opportunities we should be begging earnestly to be able to give to others. But not only is our generosity evidence that we truly grasp the wonder and beauty of our salvation, but it's an appropriate response to our salvation. And not only is our generosity pleasing to God, but it causes an overflow of thanksgiving from all those who hear about it and benefit from it. Why would you not want to be generous? Such a privilege, such a privilege that God has put us in a nation where we have an abundance of financial wealth to be able to give to others that are worse off than ourselves. I'd encourage you to be thinking about it, praying about it. Where can I allocate some of the blessings that God has given me this week? are some of those ministries ones that you'd want to contribute to either by donating into one of the church funds or doing it directly yourself. Most of those are not tax deductible. That makes a difference for some people. I'll give if I can get a tax deduction. Most of those are not tax deductible. But God pays back more than the tax man ever will. Father, we thank you for the great blessing that you have given us not just in living here in Australia but being able to hear your gospel freely to be able to meet together to not have to hide Lord our faith 
the fear of persecution, torture, death. We thank you for the great blessing that we have here in Australia of our wealth, Lord. Father, would you stir our hearts to be generous? Would you stir our hearts to give what we can give, to advance your kingdom, to bless the saints, to meet the needs of the Jewish people and bring the gospel to them, Lord. Lord, we don't ever want to forget the blessing and the promise that you made to Abraham that those who bless him will be blessed in return. Lord, would you give us generous hearts? Would you ensure that our treasure is in heaven? Our treasure is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we look forward to one day meeting the people that are touched by our generosity, meeting the babies that would have been aborted in Israel, meeting them in heaven as children, as adults, whatever they may be. We look forward to meeting those who hear the gospel from Faith Comes By Hearing, from the work that Eric and Terry are doing and all these other ministries, Lord. We look forward one day, Lord, meeting them and celebrating with them in heaven, your good grace, your generosity, your faithfulness to your word and to your promises. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that you'll continue to bless us and that you'll continue to stir us and that you'll make us to love you more and more every single day and never to neglect your grace or the wonder of our salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.